Anytime somebody joins the church, we want to make a big deal out of that. Anytime somebody gives their life to Christ, we especially want to make a big deal out of that. Um, what Audrey did this past week is, is make a decision to become a new person with the help of God. And that's going to be an ongoing process. And we, as uh, people that are maybe a little further down the road spiritually than she, have a responsibility to help shepherd her along. And it's a blessing to be part of a church with a lot of new believers in it, isn't it? Is that, is that, wait, I didn't hear too much of a response there. Is that, are you guys sure you're happy about this? I just, just want to make sure. Okay. Okay. Um, it is a blessing to have a lot of new members about, uh, among us, a lot of new believers among us, people that are just learning. Uh, it, it, but it also comes with some challenges, right? Because a lot of our people did not grow up learning about the stories from the Bible. Uh, they didn't grow up hearing about Abraham and Noah and Isaac and Jacob. They're learning this stuff for the first time a lot of the time. And for me as a teacher, that presents an opportunity where, you know, I get to, with, with some of these new folks and, and some of our other leaders here, lay a foundation of faith uh, that we hope is healthy and that's built on uh, a solid foundation uh, based on God's truth and God's word. Uh, but we have to take it slow sometimes. We have to go step by step. And we're starting a series here. We're actually in our second week called To Be Continued. And we're talking here at the Crossings Church about the kingdom of God. And the reason we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and have a focused study on that is because the concept of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is something that shows up all through the Bible. But honestly, when I throw that phrase out there, a lot of you are looking at me like, what's that? Because you don't know, right? Even those of us that grew up in the church, like I grew up, I was a church kid. Now I wasn't a good church kid, but I was a church kid. My parents drugged me to church. I heard a lot of this stuff growing up. But even on me, as, as a relatively younger believer, the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven was something I sort of thought I knew what it was talking about. But, but when I got in and started studying, I really didn't. And I feel like we as a congregation are kind of there. And one of the things that's interesting, as, as we got into our study of the book of Acts this year in preparation for this theme, we wanted to make it clear to our church here and our other churches and the churches we're planting that what we are doing as a congregation and as a church is a continuation of the story of the church that we read about in the Bible. We are not separate from them. We are a continuation of that same church and that same work of Jesus. And as you get into the book of Acts and start studying what were the marks and characteristics of the book of Acts, the reason we're studying the concept of the kingdom of God is because when you start looking at it, it is a concept that engulfed the early church. The message of the early church was related to the kingdom of God. The, the message, the good news, when, when the Bible talks about sharing the good news, well, that was a message about the kingdom of God. And so when I say kingdom of God, by the end of today, I hope you will have a little better understanding of what that means and also why it matters, okay? So the, the lesson will be a little more maybe academic today. I shouldn't say academic, maybe a little more uh, factual, uh, but it, it is because what you think affects your practice. As we move forward in the study, if you don't have a precise understanding of what we're talking about when we say kingdom of God, you're going to miss the application. You're going to miss the practical because you're not going to understand. So we want to make sure we have clarity on this. Uh, now, there's a clear emphasis uh, on kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in the Bible, like I said, 
What does that mean? You've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, uh, it's going to have space for you to do some writing and take a couple of notes. We tend to remember stuff better when we write it down. We also use those notes in our small groups. So if you ever go to a crossing small group, you take those notes with you on a Sunday and you sit down and say, how do we do this stuff? How do we work this out in life, right? So it's meant to be practical in that, in that uh, sense. But the first blank on there, uh, the question is, what is kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven? Those phrases mean the same thing in the Bible, okay? Here's a good definition. Those phrases mean the royal reign of God. The royal reign of God. That is a good working definition. When you see those phrases show up in the Bible, I want you to think this is talking about the royal reign of God. Your kingdom come. God's, I want your reign to come into the world, right? That's, the, that's what it means. Um, it's everywhere God's in charge. So does that mean heaven? Is, is when I see the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, does that mean heaven? Well, yeah, it does. Because is God in charge in heaven? Yeah. But it also means earth, where God is in charge. Well, where is God in charge in earth? He's in charge wherever we give him charge. Now, he could take it if he wanted it, right? He's ultimately the power, right? He can do what he wants, but he gives us freedom to choose whether we're going to be kingdom people now or not. You want to know what happens when you start acting like Jesus wants you to act on earth? You, you bring a little bit of heaven to earth. You bring a little bit of the kingdom into the earth. You want to know what happens whenever you tell one of your friends about God, that there's a God that loves them, who gave his life for them, and he wants to make them whole and forgive their sins and give them a great life, and they decide to put their faith in that God? You want to know what you just did? You built the kingdom. Why? Because now there's another kingdom member there. That's what we mean when we say building the kingdom of God, right? It's the royal reign of God. It's God's rule. It's where God is in charge. In the kingdom, there isn't strife. Why? Because God's in charge. In the kingdom, there aren't elections. Why? Because you only got one king, and he ain't going nowhere. In the kingdom, we got a, we got a, we got a power, a military. We don't have to worry about enemies, right? You want to know even death? You don't have to worry about death because our king is greater than death. There's some benefits to being in this kingdom, right? There's some benefits because God's in charge and God is good. And where God is in charge, his goodness follows. It's a good thing. You want to be part of the kingdom, right? So why does God choose to use the phrase kingdom of God so much in the Bible? As we're going to look at, guys, why did Jesus teach in parables? He would take a familiar concept, like for people that, that gardened, and he would tell them a story about gardening, where they, they would understand very simply the story, and then he, there would have this profound spiritual application that was super simple and easy to understand. Why? Because he took something that was really familiar to them and used it to teach. Whenever Jesus comes into the world and starts teaching about the kingdom of God, why why did he do that? Because it was a concept, especially for people in the first century that they were very familiar with, where he is now going to teach them profound spiritual truths through the concept of this kingdom. Now, like all kingdoms, God's reign or God's kingdom involves a ruler. This is the next blank on your notes. There's some characteristics of the kingdom of God that I think God wants you to pull out of here. There's a ruler. Now, in the kingdom of God, who's in charge? Who's the ruler? It's Jesus. It's the king. It's 
King Jesus. Whenever we say Jesus Christ, that word Christ means anointed one. It means king. It's a title. Jesus the king, that's what you're saying when you say Jesus Christ. He's the ruler. Like all kingdoms, God's reign involves subjects or citizens. Who are the citizens or the subjects of God's kingdom? Who? Are you sure? Does it mean people that go to church? Are you sure? You guys are unsure today. You're sure. Destiny, sure. Okay, we're good. Um, it doesn't just mean people that go to church. It means people that are surrendered to the king. Those are the citizens of God's kingdom. You can go to church all day, but if you don't listen to the king and do what he says, you're not a member of the kingdom. You're not one of God's kids. It involves surrender to be his subject. Jesus even says there are going to be people who think they're, they're going into the kingdom of God, but they're not. He says that in Matthew 6. He says there's going to be a lot of people that think they're going to go to heaven, but they're not because they don't do what I say, and they think I'm playing around. That's pretty much what he says. He's not playing around. we got to let him be the king, right? Like all kingdoms, God's reign involves an area of rulership. Now, we think of that in earthly kingdoms in terms of geography. We think of that at borders, right? What are the borders of God's kingdom? says in the Bible, it's everlasting, it's eternal. There aren't any borders. He's in charge of everything. Okay, you don't have to worry about another king coming along and challenging his authority. You don't have to worry about an enemy coming and taking over. You don't have to worry about any of that. He's in charge and he's going to be in charge and he's in charge everywhere. It's pretty comprehensive, right? Like all kingdoms, God's reign involves values and expectations. God's reign involves values and expectations in other words, rules and laws. Just like uh, there are rules and laws in our country, God has expectations and values as well. I think that's a better way to understand it. Uh, and so what a kingdom member will do is they will seek to honor the king in the way they conduct themselves, in the way they speak, in the way they uh, act and talk. Why? Because there's values and expectations that are clearly laid out. They're not a, they're not a mystery, right? So, in summary, the phrase kingdom of God just refers to everywhere God is in charge. Uh, I bring the kingdom of God into the world as I live out these values and purposes. I actually become a kingdom builder as I, as I conduct myself in a way uh, that a subject should, but also as I bring others in, as I tell others about them. That is our message, the good news. So why study the kingdom of God? Why study the kingdom of God? I mentioned in the intro that it's because of the priority given it throughout Scripture. I want to look specific here, okay? Number one, because of the priority, it's given in the book of Acts. Our theme this year is coming out of Acts. We are a continuation of the story of Acts. The kingdom is emphasized greatly in the book of Acts. Now, Acts, if you don't know, is Luke part two. Luke is all about the life of Jesus it, by the time you get to the end of Luke, Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. Whenever you start Acts, it's right after Jesus' resurrection. He comes and he's teaching his disciples. And then he sends them out into the world and he's gone. And the rest of the book of Acts is what the early believers did right after Jesus sent them out with their mission. And they went and built the kingdom. And so Acts actually begins with talk about the kingdom of God. In verse 4, this is uh, 
talking about Jesus, after Jesus' suffering and death, he appeared to them. In many ways, he proved that he was alive. He appeared to them, talking about appearing to the disciples over a period of 40 days. So here's the thing. You're a rabbi that you followed around for three years that you knew intimately you saw get killed by the Romans. You saw him hang on a cross. You saw the nails driven through his hands. You saw him take his last breath. You saw the tomb where they buried him. You saw it. You were an eyewitness. And then after three days, he comes back from the dead. What? Now, you got to understand, Jesus had told them before this happened, this was going to happen. They misunderstood it. He told them a bunch of stuff beforehand that after he came back from the dead, suddenly started to make sense because they realized who this guy was. This was the Messiah, the King of Kings, but he was more than that. He was God in the flesh come among them. And it changed everything in their understanding about who he was. Like whenever we say uh, Jesus is Lord, you guys need to understand, we're saying Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. He is, he, is, he is one with God the Father. He is one with God the Holy Spirit. He is God. And so he comes back and now God is with them for 40 days. And what is he talking to them about? He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. During that time, he spoke about God's kingdom. During that time, Jesus took that special time during the 40 days after his resurrection to talk with them about God's kingdom. That's what they were talking about. He was giving them clarity. He was giving them understanding. But you want to know what? They still misunderstood this. Because what they were waiting on for so long as Jews was a king to come and fight their enemy, the Romans. The, the Jews in the first century thought that's what the Messiah was going to do. Matter of fact, I was telling the, in the teacher service this morning, we go over the lesson, and uh, I mentioned to them that, that this was even the motivation for the Pharisees. Uh, like, whenever you read the Pharisees getting sideways with Jesus, the reason the Pharisees in the Bible were so motivated to do everything perfect was because they thought if they did, that God was going to send the Messiah and beat up the Romans. And so whenever somebody was not acting right in their community, they saw that as a threat to themselves because God, it was going to remove God's blessing from them. Guys, the reason the Pharisees put Jesus on the cross was because they wanted the king to come fight the Romans. Do you see how this was ingrained in their culture? Okay, And so Jesus comes after the resurrection, speaks with the disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God, and they still didn't get it at the beginning of Acts. I don't have this on your notes, but in verse 6, I'll put it up on the screen here. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is right after it says he had been with them for 40 days, speaking with them about the kingdom of God. Guys, they still did not get it at this point. They still thought it was going to be some kind of military rule. But what you're going to see is this mindset is going to change, where by the end of the book of Acts, all of these guys understand this isn't about a temporal kingdom. Whenever the Bible predicts over and over that God is someday going to send a king to come into the world to make everything right, it's not just talking about Israel. It's not just talking about this time. It's talking about forever. It's huge, right? They didn't get it at this time. Acts starts talking about the kingdom. In the middle of Acts, guess what the message is in the middle of Acts? It's about the kingdom. In Acts 8, 12, now the people believe Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God 
in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. This is uh, the first time that a missionary went to somebody other than the Jews. This is where he goes to the Samaritans. And his message is about the kingdom of God. And there are people now that aren't even Jews that are giving their lives to Jesus. You see that further as the book of Acts progresses. Uh, And at the end of Acts, guys, this is our theme verse for the year. At the end of Acts, in Acts 28, 30, and 31, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in the house he rented. He welcomed all who came to see him. He preached boldly about what? God's kingdom. He preached boldly about God's kingdom. No one could keep him from teaching people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, interesting. The book of Acts begins with them, with Jesus teaching about the kingdom. In the middle of Acts, we see the message that is being shared is about God's kingdom. At the end of Acts, we see Paul never stops talking about the kingdom of God. Right? Interesting. Is that our experience? Has that been in your uh, sharing of good news? Have you had this understanding of we're part of a kingdom in mind? Have you understood these concepts? I would be willing to bet a lot of us have not. Have not. And that's part of why we need to look at this so we can have clarity because throughout the entirety here, we see that. The second reason we want to study the kingdom is because of the priority it's given in the Gospels. Because of the priority it's given in the Gospels. When we say Gospels, we mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the books that are about Jesus. So if you go read those, you're going to learn uh, who Jesus was and what he said. um, And those chronicle his life. And here are some words that show up in those books that are significant. Okay, the first one's forgive. That shows up in 18 places. Is forgiveness important in the teaching of Jesus? Yeah, super Shows up 18 times. By the way, how many times does something have to show up in the Bible for it to be important? Once, right? But if it's repeated, we better pay attention, especially, right? All it has to show up once to be important, but if it's repeated, we especially better know what it's talking about. Forgiveness shows up a bunch of times. What about uh, peace? Well, peace shows up in 21 places. Is peace important in the teaching of Jesus? You betcha. Super important. Super important. What about love? What if you just took love out of the Bible? Would anything be missing? Yes. Love shows up in 51 places in the teaching of Jesus. Just in the Gospels, right? That's important. The the most important command in the Bible is to love God with all your heart. It's what Jesus says. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So yeah, love is important. It's like one of the most important concepts. Serving is found in 65 places. That's another important concept, right? Uh, Belief or believing or faith shows up in 79 places. Faith is kind of important, right, in the Bible? Kind of a big deal. Then you got this concept of kingdom. Well, kingdom in the gospel shows up 114 times. 114 times. Now, why do I show you that? I want to illustrate You probably are real familiar with some of these other things, serving, loving, peace, like you've you've done studies on those, you can rattle off facts about those, but when we get to kingdom of God, probably not so much. But look, it shows up more than some of these other important concepts. We need to be familiar with all these things, okay? 
But I want to show you how much this shows up. It's important. Uh, it's, it's the message John the Baptist had when he started. He was the forerunner of Jesus. It says in uh, Matthew 3, John the Baptist started preaching in the desert of Judah. He said, turn back to God. The kingdom of heaven will soon be here. This is the guy that came and started preaching. Who, his job was to make, make people ready to hear from Jesus. And his, his message was, hey, the king is coming. The kingdom of God is near. You need to listen to this guy that's coming. It was about the kingdom. Uh, in, in Matthew 4, the, the first message from Jesus, when you see when Jesus starts his public ministry and actually goes out and starts preaching, guess what the first words out of his mouth are? They're about the kingdom. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, turn away from your sins. He said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same thing. There's this kingdom message here. Uh, in, in a little later in Jesus' ministry, he's talking to a, a group of poor people. People that uh, were being oppressed by the Romans. People that were having uh, to, to think about how they were going to feed their families and how they were going to get clothing and all these things. And he's coming and saying to these people, God's going to take care of you. What you need to do and what you need to be your first priority, it's not about your food and about your clothes. It's about the kingdom. He says in uh, 633, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What do you, what do you mean? Seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness. What does he mean by seek first? It means make that your first priority. Okay, Jesus says to this group of people that had some legitimate needs, make your first priority the kingdom and being a good, loyal subject in the kingdom and God's going to take care of these other needs that you have. It's about the kingdom. When the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we don't really know how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? Jesus says, Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with the holiness of God, praising the holiness of God. But then look, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next phrase out of his mouth is this kingdom language. In teaching them something as basic as how do you pray to God? You acknowledge his holiness and then you pray for his rule and his reign to come on earth. Right? And by the way, you have something to say and whether that occurs or not by your choices, and so do I, right? This message of the kingdom was prophesied to be the message of the church, the early church and our church, guys. Matthew 24, 14, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. Guys, that is a prophecy about what we are to continue today. It's another reason we need to be familiar with kingdom. This is supposed to be our message, the message of the good news of the kingdom. And then Jesus states that preaching the kingdom of God is, is one of his purposes. He says in Luke 4.45, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. He points to that as purpose, right? Just like he points to seeking and saving the lost Guys, how are the lost saved? Well, they're, law, they're saved as they respond to the gospel of the kingdom. It's all tied together. The third reason we want to study the kingdom of God is because just like there's an emphasis in Acts, just like there's an emphasis in the gospels, there's an emphasis in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, guys like Paul actually used their Old Testament Bible because they didn't have a New Testament in Paul's day. They just had the Old Testament. He would take that Old Testament Bible 
and teach people how Jesus was their king using just the Old Testament Bible. It says um, in Acts 28, 23, whenever a bunch of Jewish leaders came to meet with Paul because he was teaching stuff that they thought was weird, it was stuff about Jesus, here's how he reached them. It says, they agreed on a time when the day arrived, they came back to his home with a number of their friends. Paul talked to them all day from morning to evening, explaining everything involved in the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them all about Jesus by pointing out what Moses and the prophets had written about him. Paul had a Bible study with these guys. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that Jesus was the King, the Messiah. So Paul opened up the Bible, and they had a Bible study, and Paul showed them why they needed to listen to Jesus, because Jesus is the one the Bible was talking about. The whole book of The whole Bible is about Jesus. It's his story, right? Paul does that. He's able to do that because there's an emphasis on the king in the Old Testament. If you go study uh, the narrative of the Bible, it all fits together, right? Uh, There are many, many passages about the coming king, about Jesus, guys. There are over 400 Old Testament passages, prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. At least, there's, there's about 400. A lot of them are royal prophecies that are about this coming king. Pretty good, significant percentage of them. Um, so this king, here's one of them. I'll just read it in Isaiah 9. Um, this says, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. He will rule over us, and he will be called Wonderful Advisor and Mighty God. He will also be called Father who lives forever and Prince who brings peace. There will be no limit to how great his authority is. He will rule on David's throne. He will make the kingdom strong and secure. His rule will be based on what is fair and right, and it will last forever. Does that sound like a good kingdom to you guys? That's what the Bible says about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of Jesus. I want to focus your attention for just a moment here on the phrase, Prince who brings peace. This is, uh, this is in the Old Testament. Uh, does anybody in here know the Hebrew word for peace? Anybody have any Jewish friends? When you call them on the phone, they will answer the phone, Shalom. You know what that means? It means peace. But it doesn't just mean an absence of conflict means something a lot more than that. It's a rich Hebrew word that means harmony. It's a a good word to describe, like, if you go study the Old Testament where God created the world, he created Adam and Eve, he put them in the Garden of Eden, everything was good, right? You get to the end of Genesis 1, and God looks around at everything he's created and says it's very good. Guys, there wasn't any sin in the world at that point. There wasn't any sickness, there wasn't any natural disaster, there wasn't any of this stuff that's a result of the introduction of sin into the world in the world at that time. It was uncorrupted. It was perfect. Perfect. Sometimes people say, if God is so loving and good, why didn't he create a perfect world? The answer is he did. Go read the Bible. The word shalom is a perfect description of Eden, where everything is right between the man and the woman. Everything is right between the man and the woman and God. 
Everything is right between the man and the woman in creation. Everything is harmonious. Everything is working together. Everything is working as it's designed to work in Eden. And then when sin comes into the world, guys, that's where all this brokenness that we see, all this breakdown of the relationship between the man and the woman, where instead of relating to one another harmoniously, now they're hiding from each other and blaming each other. And and where they're walking in the garden with God, now they're hiding from God. And where their work, you know, they were finding fulfillment in and satisfaction, and now the earth is toiling against them. All this garbage that we have to deal with, guys, came because of sin. Whenever... Whenever God chooses this phrase, Prince of Peace, to describe his son. Guys, what did Jesus do when he came to earth? Man, he started his public ministry and he started teaching people that there's a good God and there's a great kingdom where everything. And then, and then he would go and start healing people. You don't want to listen to me? Okay, let me go heal this deaf guy. You want to listen to me? Oh, let me go heal this blind guy. Oh, that guy's dead? Watch this. You want to listen to me now? That's what he was doing. And like these people started following him. It was crazy. You want to know what he was doing when he would do a miracle? He was turning back the effects of sin. God didn't make that person to be blind. God didn't create that person to be disabled. God didn't create that person. He didn't create that. He was turning back the effects of sin. That's what the Prince of Peace does. That's what he does. All that garbage that the world has thrown at you, all that corruption, all that darkness, all that blackness, all that death, all that despair, all that depression, all that, all that mess that just makes you want to give up. I mean, Jesus comes in and he grabs you by the hand and it's like lights just coming off him and as he walks in, the darkness is receding and things are getting better and as you learn to be a kingdom citizen, you're making different decisions and your family's being affected. He's turning back the effects of sin for you. He's turning back the effects of sin in your family. He's bringing shalom into your life. That's what the Prince of Peace does. That's what he does. That's who he is. But sometimes we're so afraid and we want to we hold on to control so bad that we push the Prince of Peace out of our lives because we think we're the, we're the bastions of harmony and shalom. We can't do it. We need his help. But you got to trust him. And that's hard. Because you got to give up control. It's hard until it isn't. Tell you what, you do it, you step over that line and say, I'm just going to give him control. It's scary to make that decision. How many of you guys, before you decided to put on Christ in baptism, cried? Because you were a little afraid. I know a lot of you did. Right? It's a big decision to give control to the Lord. But it's one that once you make it, it's like, why did I do this before? Why did I think I could bless me more than God could bless me? Why did I think I could figure this out on my own? Like, 
it, it's just, it's hard until it's not. You've got to trust him. One of the things that we point to that God gave us to learn to trust him is the cross of Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion uh, here in a moment. Let's go ahead and do it now. I think I had it written on the notes for the next, next thingy, but um, we'll take communion. Uh, the reason we do that is because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Uh, that's a phrase we throw around, guys. That's a phrase that is, kind of rolls off the tongue. But when you understand, when you sit and actually meditate on the fact that there is a God who created everything. He created every single person here today. He created every single person who's ever existed, never will exist. He knows every single person intimately. It says in his word, he knew most people were going to turn on him and rebel against him. And we're going to treat him like an enemy. But he chose to love them anyway. And even though the world really was hostile to God, he came into the world as a human being. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He only treated people right. He only thought of people right. He never sinned a single time. He never wronged a single person. He only told the truth when he opened his mouth. He never had an impure motive that manifested itself in sin. He never did any of the stuff that I do every day. And guess what the world did? The world hung him on a cross and killed him because they didn't like what he had to say. They didn't like the idea that that he was the king that had come into the world, they didn't understand, and they killed him. Did you know he had all the power of God at his disposal? Jesus Christ could speak a word and nuke the earth. While he was on the cross, he still had the power to do that. If he had spoken the word, he could have done it. He could have started over. He could have, he could have wiped the slate clean. Right? You guys realize the Bible teaches Jesus is the one that's responsible for creation. Whenever the Bible talks about the creation, Jesus created the world. He can uncreate it if he wants to. He's hanging on the cross with all that power and he does not use it to punish. He hangs there and he dies because He's taken your sin, the punishment that was for you, the punishment that I deserve, he takes it on himself. He takes it on himself and he gives me his life. He gives me his light and takes my darkness. He gives me his hope and takes my despair. He gives me his joy and takes my depression. He, he takes all of the garbage onto himself. He takes it. And he doesn't just take it. He takes it because I can't. I'm just an ant. I'm just a speck, right? But he's God. He takes it and he takes it out back and kicks its butt. And I don't have to worry about it anymore.
That's what the king does. Guess who else can do that? Nobody. Only him. And he does it for you. He hung on that cross with all the power of God, but guys, it was not nails keeping him on that cross. It was his love for you. Jesus died on the cross because he wants to give you a chance. He is the big king. The big king created you. And guess what you are? You are a little king. Big king has a sovereign kingdom that involves all of creation You, little king, you have a sovereign kingdom as well. You are in charge of the kingdom of your heart. And you get to decide, as the little sovereign king of your heart, whether you're going to invite the big king to come be a part or not. The invitation is open. What are you going to do, little king? The cross is here to help you trust the big king. And as you trust the big king, it becomes a little easier for a little king to lay their crown down, doesn't it? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to take communion, and then we'll wrap up our lesson today. God, as we uh, think about your body that was broken and your blood that was spilled, help us to remember the reason you did that was so that we could have full lives, God, so that you could take all the darkness and garbage away in an ultimate sense. Thank you so much for being so generous and loving. Help us to trust you today, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, All right, the last point here, why study the kingdom of God, is because of the promises given to its kingdom members. Uh, Because of the promises given to its kingdom members. These are the citizens. Guys, there are promises that are made to the citizens of God's kingdom that are very, very significant. There aren't very many promises that are going to be made to you in your life that are eternal, that have eternal significance. Most of the promises that are made are going to involve some form of a time where the benefit or whatever is going to end, right? Not with God. When, When he makes these promises to the members of the kingdom, guys, you need to remember we're going to be with him for eternity forever, no end. That is mind-blowing, but that's what Jesus teaches. That's what he says, is with him there is no end to life. Uh, now, we already looked at Matthew 6.33. Just looking again, we're going to look at a different translation. This is, he's talking to a group of poor people. Uh, they had legitimate needs in terms of clothing and food. Like, they, they were, they didn't have a supermarket to go to. They had to depend on what grew out of the ground or what, you know, whatever they get their hands on without getting overtaxed or whatever, he says to them, instead, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. And here's a promise, right? He says, all these things will be given to you as well. When he says these things, if you read the context, he's talking about your daily needs. You worry about your daily needs being met? Now, anybody here worry about that? Yeah, I know, right? Quite a few. Uh, What Jesus says is if you will make following God your top priority, he will work this other stuff out, right? Uh, Now, there's some caveats to that. If you're following Jesus as king, one of the things Jesus says to do is get a job and don't be lazy. It's in the Bible, right? Uh, In a couple of different places. So there's some things about, like, you're going to act different if you're submitting to him as king. This isn't lip service. When you really put him first... 
If you haven't been putting Jesus first in your life, when you really start to put him first, it's going to have an effect. You're not going to be the same old person, right? If you are the same old person, something's wrong. You've missed something somewhere. So you're going to be different. But God promises he's going to take care of you as you walk with him. In Acts 2, uh, Peter proclaims King Jesus and his authority to the people who'd crucified him. Uh, Now, I want to give you a little context here, guys. Acts 2 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. uh, Because in Acts 2, there's a culmination. uh, It's a high point in the story of the Bible. There's a culmination of all kinds of prophecies, of all kinds of predictions, of all kinds of things that God said are going to happen, well, it ends up culminating in what happens in Acts 2. And this is shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. He's given the disciples marching orders to go to Jerusalem and wait. He says, I'm going to send the counselor to you. And they don't know what that means, but they just know they need to do what they're told. So there's about 120 of these guys in Jerusalem in Acts 2 at the beginning. This was also a a holiday weekend in Jerusalem. Uh, for Jews, they had a few holidays a year where everybody would travel to Jerusalem, everybody that was a Jew. So everybody from all the known world, if you were a practicing Jew, you were going to go to Jerusalem at this time because you had to go to the temple to celebrate this holiday. When Jesus was crucified, that was the weekend of the Passover. And so all of the good Jews were there for Passover. Now, 40 days later, there's another holiday the holiday called Pentecost. That's the holiday that's taken place in Acts 2. So the the same crowd, if you've seen The Passion of Christ, that movie, the crowd that's yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, when Jesus is on trial with Pilate, that same crowd that was there yelling, crucify him, is now back in Jerusalem on Pentecost. And it's at this time that God decides to shake things up. And he sends, uh, if you can just imagine, you hear a really loud boom. Like you're in Jerusalem and you hear a really loud boom. And then you look over and you see fire coming down from the sky and going in this house. You're like, what in the world is going on? It's weird, right? That's what happens. Whenever God is going to do something new, he usually makes a scene. Okay, this is one of those, this is one of those times where God is making a scene. He's doing something. And so the fire comes in, and then all these people come out of this house, and there's this crowd that has gathered around to see this spectacle, and these guys start speaking, and everybody in the crowd can understand what they're saying, and that's weird because these people don't speak the same language, right? They don't speak the same language, but there's some kind of miracle of God now where everybody is able to understand what Peter is saying up at the front. And Peter takes this opportunity to get up, and for the first time after Jesus had risen from the dead, he tells all these people that Jesus was the king that you'd been waiting on. Now, you're a Jew, and you've grown up hearing about the king that's going to come and save you your whole life. You've been waiting expectantly. You are oppressed. You are so ready to to get out from under this Roman rule. And then the king comes and you find out, whoops, we killed him. Right? How are you going to feel in that moment? You're not going to be feeling good, right? 
These are Jews. They knew the story about Elisha or Elijah calling down fire from heaven on, the, on his enemies. They knew the Old Testament stories, right? God just made some fire come down, and we just found out we killed his son. There may be some more fire coming down from heaven for me if I'm in that position, right? You need to understand that these people emotionally are not in a good place. When they ask this question, this is the end of Peter's message here. Everyone in Israel, Acts 2, 36 and 37, everyone in Israel should now realize with certainty, God has made this Jesus, both Lord and anointed King, the same Jesus who you crucified. So he's just given them the message. You messed up really, really bad. And when the people heard this, their hearts were pierced. And they said to Peter and his fellow apostles, what shall we do? What shall we do? Now, they were surprised at this next bit. Because I, I wonder now if this what shall we do, if they had any hope at all. Or if this wasn't just a desperate question, like, is there any hope for me? And then Peter says this. He says, all of you must turn to God and change the way you think and act. And each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins will be forgiven. Then you will receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. Now, we read that. You guys need to understand the newness of what is happening here in Acts 2. You probably don't know this, but if you were a Gentile in the first century and wanted to become a Jew, you want to know what you had to do to become a Jew? You had to get baptized. Baptism was not Christian, it was Jewish. If you were a proselyte, uh, and that just means a non-Jew who wanted to become a, 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 a Jew, if you wanted to go from Gentile to Jew, you went through a ceremony of baptism. And after your baptism, you were considered now full Jew. You were no longer a Gentile. So they had places where you could do baptisms in Jerusalem. Guess what? They were near the temple. Peter calls all these people, these Jews, they didn't need to be baptized to become Jews. He calls all these people to follow the king. And he says, if you want to get right with the king, first of all, you need to change your heart. You need to repent. That's what a relationship with God starts with. Okay, some of you in here today are looking for a relationship with God. We've got people in all, all, all levels of learning here. We've got some of you uh, that you don't even know if you believe in God and you're here today. We're glad you're here, by the way. That's where I was for a long time. I was skeptical of a lot of this stuff. Others of you have been walking with God for years and years. Others of you are just now kind of taking this serious and you're investigating and you're wondering what, what's your next step. Let me tell you, if you want to get right with God, it starts with your repentance. It starts with your repentance. You want to know what repentance means? It means your mind needs to change about some things. That's what it literally means. It means that you need to learn to think like God thinks. It means you need to learn to see uh, sin. Try to your best to see it the way God sees it. You need to see morality the way God sees it. You need to see loyalty the way God sees it. You need to start getting to know God. And as you learn about God and learn what he's like and learn what his character is like, you need to change your character as best you can to be like him. Jesus is the perfect example of this. 
He's the perfect example to follow. And so the more you can become like Jesus, the more we would say you are living repentantly, right? Your mind changes. You repent. This also says, if you want to get right with God, you need to be baptized. And in this passage of Scripture, he links it to the forgiveness of sin, and he links it to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's not on your notes, but he goes on to say in the same passage here that this promise that I'm making here is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is, there's a universal call here. And what we see as we study the progression of the book of Acts is the normative expression uh, for giving faith or putting faith in Jesus is repentance and baptism. And it is linked here to salvation. It is linked to having your sins forgiven. It is linked to having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's very important. And so if you want to become a member of the kingdom, um, you're going to need to talk with someone about that and get some help with that. That's why this church is here. We started this church a few years ago uh, because new churches typically connect with more people that are just kind of seeking God than churches that have been around for a long time. And a lot of us here are first-generation Christians. We didn't grow up knowing about God or learning about God. And so in this church, guys, there is a lot of hurt. There is a lot of uh, brokenness. And there is a lot of uh, people that have been through the ringer. But you want to know what? It doesn't have to stay that way. And there's a whole lot of people here that have found healing. Guys, there's a whole lot of people here who have had their marriages restored. There are people here who have had fellowship restored with, with you know, relationships that were broken. Guys, there are cycles that are being broken here. If you're involved in a family that is jacked up, you want to know what you need in your life? The king. You need the king in your life. I wish that we could see how God sees. Because sometimes the stuff that people get hung up on, that they don't want to mess with following God because they, they want to keep this in their life or keep that in their life. I wish God could just take us out of our bodies and like show us how that affects our lives and how that affects our families. Guys, so much of this garbage that has made your family broken is systematic because you're not following the king's system. So much of it is just the way you relate to one another and the way you talk, the way you think. Man, if you start to learn what the king is like and you start to change yourself to be like him, I just wish God could take you and show you the, the two paths that your lives could go. And one over here where you're following the king and you're serving him and you're honoring him. And here's, here's the kind of family this produces. Here's the kind of relationships this produces. Here's the kind of marriages and, and parents this produces. And then over here, here's one without the king. How does this go? How are the decisions differently? How's the way of thinking differently? What's the moral standards? What's the accepted behavior? What's the modes of discipline for kids? What's the, what's the whatever. I just wish 
I just wish he could pull you out and show you the two paths. Because if he would, it wouldn't be a problem for you to trust him. But because we can't see the future like that, we have to make the decision, am I really going to trust this guy or not? Guys, I just, I'm trying to persuade you, please trust Jesus with your life. He's good. He's going to take care of you. And as we move forward in the study of the kingdom, guys, I want you to know that this church is here to help you. We have an agenda. We want you to be close to God. Because we believe God is good. We believe he wants good for you. We believe he wants good for your family. We believe he puts up with our garbage. Man, but he loves us just the way we are, but he doesn't want to leave us that way. He wants to take us by the hand, and as we learn to trust him and submit to him, he wants to lead us along, and he wants to show us that great future and that good life that he has in store for us. Not that's free from trouble, guys, but just where we're equipped to deal with trouble no matter what. And we're never alone because we've got God and we've got a family around us that loves us. That's what it is to be a member of the kingdom. And it's a blessing. If you are just investigating a relationship with God, uh, I want to invite you uh, to study the Bible with someone. Uh, You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. Can I invite everybody to pull that out, please? Um, And I would appreciate it if everybody could fill one of those out. Um, If you're investigating a relationship with God, there's a box on there you can check that says personal Bible study. Uh, And what that is, is we'll get a couple of our members to come and sit down and open up the Bible with you. And it's not like a, don't be intimidated by that, okay? It's you read a passage of scripture and then say, what do you think about that? Uh, And then you talk about it. You know, what's, what's this look like in life? It's pretty fun, and it's a uh, good way to make some friends. It's also, you know, you get to know people that way. Um, But it's really a way to connect with God, because as you learn what his word says, uh, you learn more about him, you learn how you can honor him. As you start taking those baby steps and just put one foot in front of the other, just to honor the king. I want to honor the king today. I want to do what the king said. You're going to notice that your life starts to change, and you start to change, and not in a bad way. You get to become more like Jesus. It starts with that Bible study. Okay? Now, if you don't believe the Bible is from God, it's okay. If you, if you think it shouldn't be listened to, okay, we'll talk with you about that. We still want to talk with you uh, because there's evidence even for that stuff. If you're struggling in your marriage uh, or if you're struggling uh, with kids or if there's some other life issue that you have. Guys, we have a, a wealth of wisdom among our members here. Um, we have a lot of people here who have been through a lot. We have a lot of people here who have learned a lot. We have some very wise people here who can help you. Uh, we also are plugged in with a network of our other churches that we've planted, and we have a lot of resources uh, to offer. So if there's something specific you're needing help with, uh, grief, uh, abuse, childhood sexual abuse. I was abused as a kid. I talk about it a lot. Uh, we have groups for that. We have groups for women who've had abortions. A lot of times the only thing you hear from churches Uh, is that abortion is wrong. And we believe abortion is wrong, but we also believe it's forgivable. And you're forgiven when you repent, guys. And we also understand that there's a whole lot of trauma associated with that. And we want to help you find healing for that. Because God God loves you. And guys, you're going to see the baby again. And there's comfort in that. We We have ministries to help with that. We have a lot of other things. I'm not going to go over everything that we offer 
But I want you to know, and I want to emphasize, you're in a safe place, guys. We are not going to look down on you. If you struggle with something that you are especially ashamed of, uh, we will one-up you. I guarantee you. Uh, Nobody thought that was funny. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, We have sometimes joked about, I wonder who the worst sinner at the crossings is. Because it would be pretty bad. Um, If you knew the stuff the person next to you did, you wouldn't want to sit by them. Um, But there's nothing to be, there's no shame in the kingdom of God when you repent, guys. Uh, And so if there's something you're afraid of like that, just understand, you're you're not in a place where anybody's going to judge you. And, and I, I was saying, I was trying to be funny a second ago. I'm serious, though. We're not going to look down on you or judge you because you're struggling. I'm serious about that. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, oh, oh, yeah, we got one-on-one coming up. Let me pray, and then we'll do a couple of announcements, and then we'll close out, okay? God, uh, thank you for bringing us together today as we think about your kingdom. Help us to be people that love you and that honor you as king. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.